right. Those who are not memory, I'm Joe Wiltshire, Senior Minister here. And if you own a Toyota Corolla, your lights are on. Uh, you may want to go fix that up. Although, if you think the battery can hold out for the next 20 minutes, half hour, whatever it is, you'll probably benefit from staying in. Our purpose today is to understand what it means to grow up as a Christian, grow to maturity, and, and our part in helping other people to grow to maturity, how to get there. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it and the way it calls us to loving service of one another and of you. Uh, help us to understand our part in the church. Help us to understand our role in, in helping others to grow to maturity. And we pray that you would convict us where we need to change, where we've been immature. Uh, you would help us to grow personally and use us powerfully as a blessing for other people in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up is an important part of every life. Uh, babies uh, are cute, but they grow to be toddlers, who are still cute most of the time and do very cute things. Uh, toddlers become school kids. School kids become teenagers. I see one there. Hello, teenager. Uh, oh, not quite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a couple of years before the horror of year nine. Year nine is the kind of, <laughs> yeah. Uh, teenagers, we hope we could kind of skip those years, but we can't. And then we get to adulthood, hopefully. Uh, and while there are certain moments when you wish that your children would never grow up because they've just done something so adorable and cute, uh, the reality is they will not stay frozen in that moment. And for your sake and for their sake, they need to grow up. And part of the challenge of child rearing, whether it's as a parent yourself or as a grandparent or as a friend of other parents who's a kind of supporter or whether you're a teacher or just a friend or a godparent, part of the challenge is to work out how to guide these kind of young lives into maturity. What's the right thing to say? When's the right moment to say it? How do I teach them? Uh, how do I warn them? When do I step in and rescue them from kind of dangerous situations and when do I let them continue to do it just so that they'll learn? Um, you give them enough rope but not enough to hang themselves. That's a very difficult uh, balance to judge. Now you might be wondering why uh, this is relevant to our vision as a church. And that's because one of the most striking metaphors that God uses for the Christian life is that of growing up. Uh, it's right through the New Testament. It's not the only metaphor of the Christian life. You, you think of things like you know, Christian life is a marathon. It's a race that we're on in Hebrews 12 and other places, 1 Corinthians 9. But, but one of the most striking metaphors is that of growing up, moving from being a newborn baby right through to a mature adult. We start the Christian life, whether we become a Christian at 2 or at 80, as newborn babies. Uh, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Uh, 1 Peter starts off, you know, praise be to our God and Father in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so when you become a Christian, you're a newborn baby. We thought about that last week. But it's such a powerful and wonderful image. It's an image of life. It's an image of coming into God's family. It's an image of becoming one of God's own children. Uh, it's an image of the radical new start that takes place. Uh, your life was heading in one direction without Jesus. 
And now it's heading in a completely new and different direction. In fact, it's a whole new life that you have as a Christian. As we saw four weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5, you died with Christ and now you're alive again in him. You're a new creation. You are his. You're a new person who's whose sin has been forgiven, whose debt has been paid. You're a new creation who's been remade and is being remade by the Spirit of God so that you can know God and trust God and please God. But this image of the new birth is also helpful because it helps us understand that there's a lot more growing up to do after we've been saved. All Christians need to grow and mature. It doesn't stop because... You know, you've somehow become the minister of a church or anything like that or you, you get elected as parish councillor this afternoon at the AGM. Uh, there's always more growing up to do. And so many times the New Testament turns that idea of new birth in becoming a Christian into an image of growing up, of, of becoming an adult, of maturing and developing. Uh, for instance, 1 Peter 1 3 says that we've been given new birth. 1 Peter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore rid yourself of all malice, and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, Paul calls on the Corinthian church to stop behaving and to stop thinking like children and he says, become mature in understanding be men, be grown-ups. And the expectation is that God has uh, for each of us is that we will grow and develop in our faith, in our understanding, in our repentance, in our godliness, in our service, and that we will keep growing and maturing all of our lives. But the key thing I want us to understand today is that in God's wisdom and providence, this process of, of maturing as a Christian never happens alone. It never happens alone. It's just like with kids. When parents stop parenting and kids are left to their own devices, what happens? You know, who's ever just stepped out for 10 minutes from their home with little kids and then walked back in and gone, wow, it's so peaceful and quiet and they've tidied up. That is remarkable. They have become mature adults in that 10 minutes I was gone. <laughs> yeah, they're loving, peaceful, upright members of society now. Yeah, right. Uh, anyone seen or read Lord of the Flies? Um, right. Yeah, if you haven't, some kids, uh, they're kind of English school kids, I think. They're stranded on an island. They're kind of Robinson Crusoe, but as a group. And, you know, they've been well brought up and everything. They're left to their own devices, no teacher, no adults. And before long, they're formed into tribes. Uh, they're lying, manipulating, and end up murdering each other. Uh, so much for the innocence of youth. We need each other. And in particular, we need Christians who are even sometimes just a bit further along the path to set the tone and to model what being a grown-up looks like, to encourage, to urge, to teach and to help. And without that help from other Christians, the danger is that those who are born again are likely to become severely stunted in their spiritual growth and not reach spiritual maturity. And think how horrible it would be to be in a church where everyone was a spiritual teenager. You know, what are teenagers like? You know, they're irritating. <laughs> they're selfish. 
They're sleeping all the time. Sorry to those who are here. You know, close your ears. Uh, I'm not talking about you because you're, you're obviously the exceptions. Uh, <laughs> but just in general, just so you know, other teenagers struggle with that kind of thing. <laughs> Imagine if church life was teenage life all over again. Um, but worse things may happen as well if we don't encourage and shepherd and nurture those behind us and that is that they might wither and die as the world pulls them away or as they start to believe the lies of Satan, uh, both of which the immature are susceptible to, as we'll see later. And so we need each other to help grow up uh, and we need them to help us grow up. In fact, that ought to be one of our primary concerns as believers in this world. Uh, Where do I see that in Scripture? Well, I see it in all sorts of places, but the simplest one is the verse we've kind of adopted as our key verse for here here at St Barnabas, as we've worked out how our ministry as a church should look and operate, it's Colossians 1 verse 28. Colossians 1 verse 28. If you never memorised a verse of scripture before, that's the one to memorise um, just to understand how church, what we're about. Colossians 1 28. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Uh, the word perfect uh, is the word mature, mature in Christ, grown up in Christ. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That is what the Apostle Paul was on about and that is what God calls us to be on about. The aim is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That is, we want every person, whether they know Jesus Christ now or not, to move forward in their journey with him. Uh, That's why we came up with the four E's we've been banging on about the last few weeks. And I put together a PowerPoint and it's not working. Uh, uh, But it's kind of on the back of your uh, outline, a little part of it. Um, uh, uh, There's a circle, it's a target, uh, and I've only got a quarter of it on there. The first three uh, parts of that circle are, well, you may be able to tell me, what's the first thing we've got to do? Engage. We've got to engage with the outsider. What do we do then? We evangelise. That's right. We share with them the gospel of Jesus and help them become Christians. Just kill it. Um, not kill, no, yeah, <laughs> kill the slides. Um, uh, then we want to establish. We want to establish them, firmly ground them in the faith. But now we want to equip, equip those who are maturing so they can be of service to God and his church and the world. That's the four E's. But what does maturity look like? How would we know if we were kind of manifesting maturity as Christians? Because if we don't know what we're aiming for, the chances are we'll never get there. You aim at nothing and you're likely to hit it, right? So maturity. So turn up Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, our first reading. Here are at least some of the marks of a mature church. This is the marks of a mature church. And as we go through them, just one by one, it's worth asking, is that us? Is that us as a church at St Barnabas? Is it us as individuals, as Christians who are hopefully growing up? Is that us? Is it me? Is it you? Ephesians 4. What are the marks of a mature church? I see at least five there. 
Number one, a mature church has the right kind of attitude. See it in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What's the attitude? Humble, gentle, patient, loving. That's the attitude of a mature church. Why humble, gentle, patient and loving? Well, I reckon two reasons. One, because uh, none of us has absolutely made it as Christians, have we? Uh, has anyone reached perfection yet? Um, uh, we're, we're coming to you for help if you have, okay? Uh, you're the one that's got to shepherd us all. But we're never going to reach perfection in this life, full maturity. None of us has got everything together, so we've got to be humble about ourselves. And secondly, because there, all these others, are your brothers and sisters in Christ, like it or not, uh, for whom Christ died, and uh, you're in the family with them. And so you just got to be completely humble because they're Jesus' people. In this life, in this world, there is always more growth for us to do as God's children. We must never consider ourselves to have made it. We must never think it doesn't matter if we're making progress. It matters immensely to God. There will always be more of the depths of God and of the the depths and riches of his word to discover and to plumb. There will be always uh, more of the sinful nature to put to death, always more of a godly character to to grow in. There will always be more skills to learn so that we may be able to minister better to others. And that is, is true for me as it is for anyone else here. And so we've got to have this attitude of humble, patient, kind love as we help each other along the journey. That's not easy, is it? <laughs> uh, I, 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 mean, I, I said, put up your hand at 8 o'clock, anyone who feels that they're humble, gentle, patient and loving, and um, no one put their hand up. And I think they're actually... A lot of them are fairly like that. But anyway, I won't test you. It might embarrass you if you put your hand up uh, and then you won't be humble anymore. But uh, (laughs) it's not easy, is it, to be those things? No one said it was going to be easy. In fact, Paul wouldn't have needed to say it if it was so simple. Just just for a minute, take a look around the room. Have a look who's here this morning. There you go. Have a look. Do you know them? I reckon you'll see some people who you're really good friends with, you're really close to. Uh, there's some you might think, I really want to get to know that person. I've, I've, I know them a little bit. Uh, there'll be others you think, huh, when did they walk in? Who are they? <laughs> kind of, um, I've got to get to know them. Uh, there'll be others you're kind of avoiding looking at because you're like, because <laughs> you wish they weren't here. <laughs> Uh, they're very difficult to love, for you to love, and, and they drive you nuts. But look again and consider that God has been at work and has called these people into his family and he's, he's called us to be united with them and to be united with him. And because we're united with him, we're united with them. And even if there's been disagreements and hurts and disappointments, doesn't the gospel teach us to forgive as we have been forgiven? And so if you've got a problem with someone, sort it out. Don't let it lie. It's not good enough just to ignore them. Humble, gentle, patient, loving. That's the first mark of a mature church, the attitude, the right attitude. 
Second, a mature church is unified in the truth of the gospel. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Unity in the church is a, is a huge thing to God. That's not to say all unity is the same kind of unity. Uh, there are different sorts of unity and not all of them are equally valued by God. Uh, some kinds of unity are actually expressions of our rebellion against God. Think of the Tower of Babel. Uh, that's a prime example. The builders, they were seeking to make a name for themselves. Uh, they certainly were unified in their task. They were trying to make their mark in the world and impress God and show God, um, but they were doing it by a man-made unity, not under God, but in defiance of him. And attempts to establish that kind of unity have been made in every generation and every society since, and even in some churches, and all of them have failed because the unity that Christians have with each other is not institutional, it is not man-made, it is not denominational, it is not parochial. The true unity that Christians have is the unity of the new humanity that God has created by the death of his son and he is bringing into being by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. True unity is the unity in the truth of the gospel, in the Christ of the gospel. And we're told to make every effort to keep that unity, which we do as we wrestle with the scriptures together and as we contend together for the gospel cause in this world. It's not maturity when we bicker and argue over little things. It's not maturity when people drop out of church because they've, they've just taken offence at someone or they didn't like the biscuits at morning tea. Now, they happen. I've seen it happen. Uh, lucky our morning tea this morning is fantastic. Anyway, undoubtedly there are right times to break the unity and, when the, and that is when the unity is not in the truth of the gospel. But our predisposition, if you like, and our effort should always be directed towards harmony, if at all possible. Unity in the truth, that's the second mark. Third mark, a mature church recognises and benefits from the gifts that Jesus gives. Okay, It's uh, the gift that God has given, which is people and their gifts. So verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ a portion. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Funny explanation after that. Skip to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, um, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, that is by no means a complete list of all the spiritual gifts that God gives to his church. I mean, you could go to 1 Corinthians 12, you go to Romans 12, you go to 1 Peter 5 uh, for more. Uh, and, and all of them need to be recognised and appreciated and benefited from. But this particular list has something in common. Anyone see what it is? What, what's this list got together? You know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. What's it got in common? Yeah. So, yeah, there's 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 teaching involved, speaking, and and they're all people who, in one sense, speak the word of God and encourage others by 
by, by speaking. That's, that's their common thing. They have word ministries, if you like. And the reason Paul focuses on these particular ones here is not so they can blow their own trumpets and think, hey, we've made it, we're the best, um, but because they play a pivotal role in developing and releasing all of God's people for humble service. Uh, I mean, I thank God constantly for our incredible uh, leaders and teachers in all our groups, in, in kids' church, we're so well served by them, in boys' club, in youth group, in ESL, in uh, coffee and chat, uh, in our Bible study groups, uh, our scripture teachers who, who, who just flog it out there in the schools. We have one of them here this morning. Uh, we're glad you hear Kim. Um, they work hard. They give their time for the benefit of those they lead. And we need to pray for them that God would uphold them in the truth because it's the truth that they're sharing and, and that he would enable them to do his great work of, what is it here? Preparing God's people for works of service. To, to find and equip and release God's people to use what they've been given by God to serve. And that, that's actually the fourth mark of the mature church. The mature church is one where every member is prepared to serve. See there in verse 12 and 13. Christ gave all of these people as gifts. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ might be built up uh, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is Jesus Christ intending to do in us and for us and through us? He intends to make us a church where every one of us is prepared to serve. Prepared to serve in our attitude, being willing servants, maybe even joyful servants, that will be good too, but but also to be prepared in terms of being equipped. And that's where we get the fourth E from, equipped to serve God, equipped to serve his body, the church, equipped to serve the world. Uh, that's what the four E's uh, are trying to help us do. How do we be equipped to do those four things? One of the key markers, if you look at the back of your outline, that someone has made a transition, and it's not a a fixed Bible distinction, unlike the not, in, not a Christian Christian. That's why it's a dotted line. One of the key markers that someone has been established property, properly is that they begin to understand that life as a Christian is not all about them, that they're getting out of that teenage thinking, that life is about serving. And so we've got to understand that everyone has something to contribute. More than that, God has adopted you into his family in order that you might contribute something. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved in order to do good works in chapter 2, verse 10. But the, And the service that God is calling us to is to be both selfless and sacrificial. Selfless, sacrificial service. And this is one area which I think we as a middle-caste suburban Australian church struggle with most consistently. The air we breathe from our culture is one of extreme selfishness. That, that, is, that is what the ethos is of our community, isn't it? We are told right from our first breath that life is all about me. Uh, we're told to, we can 
do what we like when we like it. We're told to buy what we like. We're told uh, to be what we like. But it is like a cancer amongst God's people and it is completely antithetical to Jesus' teaching. Jesus' call was to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. It's not hard to understand, but it is totally countercultural to do. But that's what we're called to do, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow. And it should result in a life of joyful, selfless and sacrificial service to God and his kingdom. The trouble is we want the joy without the sacrifice. And we're prepared to do things we enjoy, but we're not prepared to do the things that, that when we do do them and see how it's benefiting the kingdom will bring us joy. Okay? You don't do things because you enjoy them. You get joy from doing them is how God's meant you know, training us to think. Uh, it's not sacrifice if it doesn't cost you anything. It's not sacrifice if it's half-hearted or if it's non-committal. It's not sacrifice if it doesn't disturb your interests and your routines. Joyful, selfless, sacrificial hearts and lives is what God is interested in. So given that, what are, what are the things we should be looking around to do? How do we serve? We're not to be idle. We're to be active in our Christian partnership. What, what things are there? Some people just genuinely go, I just don't know what I am gifted for or able to do or I don't see how I've got anything to contribute in this group here. What things can we do? All sorts of things. And, and some of them are service and you might not think of them in terms of service, like coming along. I remember being at Windsor, straight out of college, getting the shock of my life the first time, it didn't happen once, it happened several times, the first time I received a call through the week from someone apologising that they wouldn't be at church the next week. But I nearly fell off my chair when that happened. It's like, what, why are you calling me? What, I what are we? You know, just, that's expected, isn't it? You just turn up when you like. Yeah. Um, fancy that, apologising for not coming to church. Why did that person do that? Well, it could be because they have a weird, faulty view of ministers and church and stuff like that. That's possible. I think in this person's case, though, they understood that in not coming along, it actually deprives everyone else. We are worse off when someone is not here. We're worse off when you're not here. I'm not saying I want any phone calls, you know, because I might get 50 a week then <laughs> if you're not coming. But, but, but think about the impact that you're having on others. And when you do come, come with a mindset of how can I encourage and how can I urge and equip and how can I nurture someone else? Who can I talk to? You know, how do we, you know, what do we discuss it's of spiritual benefit to people? Who can I pray with? after church. Uh, Fifty years ago, it was normal for committed suburban Christians to be called twices uh, because they would go to church twice on a Sunday, once in order to learn and another time in order to serve in some capacity. Uh, we stopped that uh, and people started going just once and they were the committed Christians every Sunday and now we've even lost that. Now you're a twicer if you come twice a month and some wish it was twice a year. But anyway, <laughs> the... The works of service include helping run things run smoothly when we are together. Things like morning tea, supper, and the band, helping set up, pack up. There's so many just little things. Looking around and thinking, oh, you know, there's, there's some junk paper down there. I can clean that up. Someone's thrown, you know, rubbish in the Anglicare bin, which is for food, for distribution to the poor. Um, 
You know, I picked that out most weeks. You know, there's all sorts of ways to serve. Uh, it includes giving and raising money. It includes being involved in the more serious administrative roles, such as we're going to elect this afternoon, parish councillor, warden, and synod rep, and nominator, and things like that. Uh, it includes, and, and this is one I really want to challenge you on, it includes being part of the outreach of church. And, and it includes learning how to identify where someone is up to in their spiritual... Hang on, I've got to go this way around the circle, don't I? For you, I'm doing it for me. Uh, that's not serving. Uh, how, how to identify where someone is up to on that journey around that circle in Christ. And then, and then learning... How can I help them take the next step? I mean, God's the one in the end who changes hearts and works in lives, but, but he's given us as instruments to, to affect that change and to, to nurture people along. How can I do that? And there's all sorts of other things outside of those and in between. They're all part of the spiritual service that God is preparing us for, uh, some of which we might be specially gifted for and just kind of God's gift to this church um, some of the things just need doing, right? I'm glad when someone identifies that there's no toilet paper and goes and sticks another roll there, okay? And they've learned either to go to the shops or to find the right cupboard because I have no idea where they're kept, right? And I've worked here for eight years and I don't know where the toilet rolls are. But someone knows and I thank God for that person. <laughs> they're all things though that help Build the church. Build the church up and build the church out. Build the church up in maturity, in understanding, in faithfulness and faith. Things that build the church out as we reach out to people and bring them into relationship with God by sharing with them uh, the word of life, the gospel of Jesus. The mature church is one where every member is prepared to serve. Number five. I'll go quick. A mature church is one that stays on course, that, that knows where it's going and keeps going there. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Has anyone ever been on a boat or a ship in a storm? David Brake. Were you fishing in a kayak when this storm happened? You tipped over in the kayak in like a 30 centimetre high wave or no? <laughs> a strong current? I've been deep sea fishing twice and one of those occasions the wind came up. It wasn't a storm but the wind came up and we were perfectly safe and I'm sure it was nothing compared to what I was But I was panicking. I was sitting there, I was braced as the thing was rocking back and forward and stuff. And have you seen the perfect storm? Imagine being in that kind of weather. Even if you're in a cruise ship, you're still going to get battered. And think of the kind of dangers, blown off course, hopelessly lost. You know, when, when he's writing this in days where there's no GPS. <laughs> battered by the storm, pushed around, be pretty scary and... You know, might be hopelessly lost at sea. Someone might get swept off the deck and, and perish in the depths. Or a perfect storm, that ends pretty badly. The whole boat goes down and they all, all the souls on board are lost. 
And God warns us that that's what can happen to a church who is immature and does not bear these marks. It's a very serious warning to us that we'll become hopelessly lost or battered or maybe destroyed by what? What are the winds and the waves of this storm that we've got to weather? They are false teaching and manipulation. So that we won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching or by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That's the dangers we face. False teaching, manipulation. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that's what a mature church is like. It has a right attitude of humility, patience, gentleness and love. It's united in the truth of the gospel. It reaps the benefits of the gifts that Jesus gives his church. Its members are learning to serve more and more purposefully and it stays on course, building itself up as each part does its work. Now, is that us? Does our church bear those marks? And to what extent does it bear those marks? And likely there's there's going to be good and bad in all of them. What do we need to work on the most, though? Which which of those do we struggle with the most? Um, because we're in dangerous ground if we don't stop and reflect and if we don't grow to maturity. We'll be like the kids in The Lord of the Flies. We'll be like the ship lost at sea. We might be a t- church full of teenagers. That... <laughs> That's not what we're meant to be as a church. We, we want to be the strong, mature body where Christ is the head and where every part uh, does its work as it selflessly and sacrificially uh, works for the building of the body up and out as we love and as we speak God's words of truth and life to each other. As we do, as the Apostle Paul did, as we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. That's what we're shooting for anyway. Father, please do your work in and through us. Where we need to repent, please bring us to repentance. Where we need to grow up, help us to grow up. Help us to all think how we're about our service and, and, and equip ourselves and, and equip others for wholehearted service of you and your kingdom. Help us to understand particularly how to identify where people are up to and how to help them take the next step in their journey towards Christ and their journey towards maturity in Christ. And we pray this not for ourselves, not for the growth of our church, but for the growth of your church and your kingdom in this world, that many thousands, millions might come to know you and praise you in glory, that we'll be united with them in heaven at the end, safe from the judgment, because we know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour of everything. Amen.